amazing cheeses, surprising wines, and what not to say in a pub. This week, we're in Wales. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. If you're new to the show, welcome. Glad to have you. Here's what I do. Each week, we explore the world via its unique cuisine. And this week, we're in Wales with travel writer and podcaster Pip Jones. Pip's traveled all over the world and recounted her journeys on her website, Pip and the City. Plus, she has her own podcast called Travel Goals. But for the last few months, Pip has been, like many of us, holed up in her house. And since she lives in Wales, instead of talking about all the places she's been to around the world, I thought we'd talk about her home country, Wales. It's an interesting place. It sounds really cool. I've never been there, and I want to know more about it. So we talk about castles and rugby and Welsh rarebit and the craft beer scene. And I'll tell you, Pip is great to talk to. So much fun. And we laugh quite a bit as she tries to get my ass kicked in a Welsh pub. But first, let me ask you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. We're on all the podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and recently we got on Amazon Podcasts. So, we're helping Jeff Bezos take over the world. You're welcome. Destination, eat, drink. I'm so glad to be talking to you today in Wales. I was curious how you guys are handling the pandemic right now because, you know, I feel like in the U.S. we're, we're having trouble getting this thing under control. How are you guys doing there? Well, we're handling it like we handle most things here in Wales, by drinking. <laughs> okay. Good strategy. <laughs> yep. I think a lot of us are uh, going to be developing some quite serious drink problems here because we are now in a second lockdown here in Wales. Oh, so no. about half the country is currently in the process of having local lockdowns, which means you can't leave um, or enter the, the particular counties. You can't meet with other households, et cetera, et cetera. Bars and restaurants are still open, so you can go there. Um, so, yeah, basically the rule is anywhere with a till, you can go. This is the second lockdown. How long have you been locked down the second time? We don't know. Um, and that's kind of a, a problem here, I guess, is that for a lot of hospitality, tourism businesses, things like that, it's causing a lot of problems. And not having an end in sight is just really, really tough over here because, you know, we just don't know how long we're going to be in the second lockdown. If we had a date or something to kind of look forward to, I think it would be a bit different. And I think it would be a lot easier um, in terms of mental health, in terms of dealing with it as well. But I guess for me and for a lot of people, the, the struggle is the not knowing when it's going to end. I know because I think back in March when this thing first started here and I was like, well, you know, we'll, we'll deal with this for a few months. Here we are six months later, over six months later, and still um, no end in sight. So I, I agree with you. It's really tough the not, the not knowing, not being able to make plans. That's really difficult. Let's talk a little bit about your work, Pip. You have a, a couple of websites. You do a podcast too. And one of the things that you talk about 
quite a bit is uh, solo female travel, which is a great topic. And I'm not a female. I rarely travel alone. So this will be a really good learning experience for me. Tell me, what are some of your tips for solo female travelers? Yeah, you're right. It's a topic we talk about a lot on my website and on uh, the Travel Goals podcast as well. We've had several female guests come on and talk about their experiences as well. I think for me, just one of the main things is a lot of people say, don't be scared, just get out there, just do it, which I do agree with. I don't think you should be scared as a female to explore and enjoy the world. I do think you need to be prepared, though. And as a female, you need to think through things a lot more and consider your safety perhaps a lot more than a man would traveling around. So what I would say is always do your research, you know, listen to podcasts, read websites, talk to other women who've actually done it as well. Join Facebook groups. There are a ton of resources out there. You know, if you're looking at accommodation and you're not sure about the kind of neighborhood or you're not sure about your safety in a certain area ask people, join networks, join Facebook groups, join, you know, different social media platforms and just start talking to lots of people. I think a lot of fear about solo travel comes from people's lack of knowledge, perhaps. And just by having a network of lovely women to talk to, one of my favorites is the Girls Love Travel Facebook group, really just means that you've got a whole wealth of lovely ladies to talk to and discuss all your fears and how to stay safe and what kind of apps they use and what kind of resources they use to stay safe on the road. Is that the biggest obstacle, Pip, is is just fear? Oh, absolutely. And as well, and it's not talked about so much, is managing other people's fear for you. So this can be a particularly tough one. A, a lot of women you know, read my website or listen to the podcast and get in touch and just say, I'd, I'd really like to go, but you know, my, my family is scared for me. My friends are scared for me. Everyone's trying to put me off. And that's just a real shame. I feel like for me, if I'd listened to everyone else's fears and concerns, I never would have solo traveled around the world by myself. I wouldn't have gone to places like Russia or Palestine, Southeast Asia, or those kind of places, primarily because people who'd never been to those destinations kept telling me, oh, it's not safe. You can't go. The funniest one ever was when I went to Bosnia and people were saying, oh, I can't go to Bosnia. That You know, there's problems there. It's like, there was a war there like, like 25 years ago. You know? Oh, my God, Pip. I had the exact same. I had the exact same experience when we went to Croatia. People were saying, oh, isn't there a war yeah. going on there? I'm like, yeah, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uzbekistan as well. People get very nervous when you say you're visiting somewhere with Stan at the end. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I've had to explain to people, no, actually, it's a really, actually for female solo travelers, that's one of my top destinations that I'd recommend. It's really safe there. I spent a lot of time wandering around by myself, um, looking for stories because I was writing for the travel magazine whilst I was over there. I never felt in any danger at any point. Everyone was really nice, really friendly. You know, I just, I really felt like everything was set up in a kind of just wonderful way. Great lighting, you know, lovely, lovely people. I, I highly would recommend that any female solo travelers check out Uzbekistan. Let's talk a little bit about Wales because um, you're based in Wales. And, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before that, 
you know, I've spent time in England, Scotland, Ireland, but I've I've never been to Wales before, and I feel like it's a huge gap for me in my travels. For someone who's never been to Wales, how, how do you describe the culture and the people of Wales, and maybe how are they different from other folks in the UK? Oh, it's you have to come to Wales to understand, I think. Okay. Where a sort of... We, we do have our, very much our own culture and identity. We have our own language as well, the Welsh language, which is distinctly, obviously, very, very different from English. Um, and it's more, it's a more spoken Celtic language than perhaps Irish and Scottish, prim- primarily because our government put a lot of time and effort and funding into preserving the language. So it became compulsory in schools. When I was a, a child, it's also um, on road signs everywhere. A lot of public services have to be uh, bilingual as well. So there's been a real effort in preserving this quite historic language, which is absolutely lovely. So when you come to Wales, you can hear it being spoken, especially in sort of the more rural areas outside of the big cities. It's a beautiful sing-song language, um, which is really nice. We're also obsessed with rugby. <laughs> Life revolves cool. around sort of like big games like the Autumn Internationals, the Six Nations, which I think we're really, really, really going to miss next year. You know, I love going to rugby games and I'm just I'm absolutely gutted that we won't be having these massive tournaments because just Wales comes to life during rugby season. You know, thousands and thousands of people wearing red rugby shirts and singing Welsh songs and singing rugby songs. It's, it's honestly, it's a magical time to be in Wales. Also, we're going through a bit of um, a funny time politically because Wales has always sort of identified itself as being a little bit more of a lefty society, a little bit more progressive. So it's quite shocking in the Brexit referendum that there's a big number of voters in Wales who actually wanted to leave the EU, which is quite ironic because a lot of the smaller communities get a lot of funding from the right, EU. Right. So I think that's kind of shook us a bit as a nation because it's not really the idea that a lot of us had about ourselves. And previously, there was a very small minority Wales independence movement. But actually, since Brexit and you know Trump and all these kind of things that have been going on in the world, um, it's actually been growing a bit louder and louder. Now, it's nowhere near as loud as Paul in Scotland, but it is definitely a, a sort of grassroots movement that's been gaining in momentum over the last, maybe even the last two years, I'd say. Let me ask you a question about that. That's, that's very interesting because I've heard of the Scotland independent movement, and there a lot of the folks who are spearheading that would say we would as Scots, go back into the EU. Is that one of the um, platforms, is that one of the planks of the Welsh independence movement that you would be independent and then go back and join the EU? It really depends on who you're talking to because there's this belief in Wales that we have all, we don't need anyone. We, we can be hmm. a little bit like this sometimes, a little bit stubborn. You know, we've got lots <laughs> of natural resources and we don't need anyone, et cetera, et cetera. Some people say, you know, the kind of EU thing. But much like Scotland, we do have our own government as well. So we've got partial devolution here. So we get to decide some things here in Wales in terms of education and healthcare, but not other things in terms of taxes, military, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you talked about Wales having natural resources. I'm aware that Wales was a big mining area 
Um, but I don't know what other natural resources whales would have. Tell, tell me about it. Water. Lo- loads of rain here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> loads Good. and loads of water. So, um, yeah, there's been, there's been questions over the years because obviously as to who manages the water here and the companies involved and, you know, the privatization of water, etc. And it's honestly, we could talk for hours <laughs> <laughs> just on that. So, yeah, there's this whole argument about what happens with Wales' water. So there's a place called the Elan Valley in Wales, and um, there were a lot of historic dams built there a while ago, and they were built primarily to supply water to Birmingham, which is a major city in England for those who are listening outside of the UK. And that is a gorgeous, gorgeous area, beautiful man-made reservoirs and dams. But obviously that was built initially just to manage a water supply for England. So it really depends on who you're talking to on what day and how people feel about the management of water and resources here. Like I said, it's a whole massive political issue here that you can spend hours and hours and hours talking (laughs) about and get actually a good range of opinions. You know, we do like having a good debate in the pub here in Wales. So oh, good. definitely when you come and visit, you, yeah, you need to start asking questions like this to get, let's call a lively discussion <laughs> in, some of the, in some of the pubs here. I'm always a little bit reluctant to express, uh, we're getting into politics here. I'm always a little bit reluctant to express political opinions when I'm in another country. I like to ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. I tend to stay out of the fray a little bit because as an outsider, one, I'm not fully informed, but two, people can look at you and be like, oh, who are you trying to insert your opinion into our personal, you know, local political issue? Mm -hmm. I get that as a traveler. It it can be difficult. Although I do have a tip for you. Good. Walk into any pub in South Wales and just utter the words, Margaret Thatcher and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get my head bashed in, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're putting me on a suicide mission here, Pip. <laughs> you know, just, just for the lols. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might find it funny. I don't know how funny I'd find it. <laughs> but yeah, I get okay. that with politics. It's it's difficult, isn't it, to, to kind of go to another country and start you know, talking about politics, but you know, we're, we're a friendly, we're a friendly bunch here. Like, like I said, it's more lively discussion, that kind of thing. So yeah, you'll definitely have to come and visit. Well, let's talk about some of the places that we would visit in Wales. Let's say I'm coming for the first time, first time Welsh visitor. What are some of the can't miss places? What are some of the things that you tell folks to go and see and do when they're in Wales? So this is always a tricky one for me to answer. I have my own Wales travel website called Wales Bucket List. And mm-hmm. whilst I feature some of the popular places on there, I do like to steer people to more of the lesser known parts of Wales because I think that's that's where you're going to get a slice of kind of real Wales, as it were. Perfect. Yeah, that's what we want to hear. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you've got, you might have heard of some of these already, but we've got sort of like some quite iconic places in Wales and well-known places like Cardiff, which is the capital where you know the big rugby matches I mentioned happen. We've got Snowdonia National Park, which is utterly glorious. We've got the Bracken Beacons National Park, which is beautiful. And I do recommend all of those places. But if you're sort more sort of an intrepid traveler and somewhere someone that likes a bit more of an authentic experience, I cannot recommend the Cambrian Mountains enough. 
It is mm. absolutely magical. So the Cambrian Mountains is a unique part of Wales. It's like a series of mountain ranges in central Wales that lies roughly between the Bracken Beacons and Snowdonia, which I just mentioned. And what you've got here is a real wild and remote part of UK. But there's still lots to see and do. There's stargazing, there's biking, there's hiking. It's a real outdoor kind of paradise here. And what they've been growing especially well is they've got a number of dark sky sites. So that's a kind of like really cool and unique travel activity to do if you're into stargazing. So you can come here and experience lots and lots of like dark, different dark sky discovery sites and see lots of amazing nightscapes. Wales is also popular among folks who like to see castles. Do you recommend going to see oh, castles yeah. in Wales? Oh, def- well, we've got around 600 castles here. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so there are plenty to choose from. Um, Pembroke Castle is really nice. Cardiff Castle. My favorite, favorite castle is Castel Corch, which um, is a fairy tale style castle. It's like a Gothic castle. Uh, located up on this sort of like cliff trot surrounded by forest it is just marvelous so it was commissioned by the Butte family which was this powerful and influential family in Cardiff and uh, one of the members of the Butte family commissioned the architect was William Burgess I believe and he commissioned him to create this beautiful fairy tale castle for his wife and you know there's all the other men out there going damn you know you've raised the stakes here you've got your wife a castle you know <laughs> what am i supposed to get my wife <laughs> my necklace looks pretty cheap right about now right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that is my absolute castle for and you can do tours there it is absolutely just beautiful really opulent sort of interior as well that sort of like it's really got like eccentric victorian folk vibes going on in there you know because it was it, it's not historic castle it's a castle that was built to look like a historic castle but it it genuinely is a marvelous place pip let's talk about food um because you know i I read your blog and one thing that strikes me is that i think you love cheese and you got me excited about this cheese maker in wales called snedonia oh yes (laughs) i got so excited about them that i went on their website and i found out they don't ship to the u.s so i contacted them And a woman named Jennifer emailed me back and told me stores that carry Snedonia cheese in the U.S. And it turns out there's one less than 10 miles from my house. So (gasps) after I finish up with you, (laughs) hop in the car. I'm going to go get some of this Snedonia cheese. But tell the listeners about Snedonia cheese and the different kinds that they have because I'm I'm all jacked up about it. You have to get Black Bomber. It is. Oh, it is a game changer. (laughs) Honestly, it is really, really like distinctive cheese. It's got a really rich flavor and it goes absolutely wonderfully with a lovely glass of red. Oh, Snowdonia Mm. cheese is fantastic. They've got a great range as well. They've got Red Devil. They've got Green Thunder, which is a kind of mature cheddar with garlic and herbs. Another favorite of mine is their Amber Mist which has a mature cheddar and it's got a little bit of whiskey in it as well. Mm. It's lovely. Oh, honestly, I cannot believe that you can get Snowdonia cheese in Georgia. That's crazy. 
That's that's what Jennifer told me. So <laughs> I'm looking now. You to have it. to send me a picture of you enjoying some cheese. I insist. <laughs> Will do. I really, Will really do. Yeah, I want to see some Snowdonia cheese in Georgia because I think that's fantastic. They also have now a truffle cheese, which I'm crossing my Ooh. fingers that they'll have here in Georgia. But you know, I'm not holding my breath. But that sounds really good as well. Um, Italian summer truffle cheese. So. Uh, maybe look for that the next time you're shopping. Oh, definitely. Well, when you come to Wales, you're going to have to bring an empty suitcase for all the cheese, you know? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about another uh, Welsh treat, which is called the Welsh cakes. Describe what a Welsh cake is specifically, because I think a lot of people have a different uh, view, uh, different thought in their head as to what a Welsh cake would actually be. So it's an old family recipe here in Wales. And they're these like little, little sort of like flat scone type cakes um, that are traditionally served warm. And some people have them with a little bit of butter on top. Mm-hmm. Basically, what you do is you mix together flour, sugar, raisins, egg, milk and butter. And then you bake them um, on what's on these sort of like cast iron sort of gr- uh, griddles, which are known as bake stones within Wales. So you kind of um, create these like little round sort of cakes and they tend to be about one and a half centimeters thick or so. Um, And you bake them on this cake and you serve them warm, um, covered in sugar, sugar and a bit of butter as well. And they're absolutely divine. There's a company where I live called Fabulous Welsh Cakes that hands down make the best Welsh cakes. They are incredible. And they also do lots of different flavors as well. So you've got the traditional with the raisins, but they also do like, coconut, chocolate, etc. And yeah, they do a fantastic range. So anyone visiting Cardiff absolutely needs to go and visit them. Is this something that you would get in a bakery, in a grocery store, in a restaurant? How do you how do you get a Welsh cake? So yeah, absolutely. Bakeries here in Wales, definitely like Welsh cakes are a staple. Um, a lot of cafes as well, especially the more what I call traditional cafes here in Wales. Um, the less so the, the more sort of hipster ones, you know, that's more like, you know, deconstructed avocado on toast, but you're more sort of traditional cafes. Um, so one of my favorite traditional cafes where I live is a place called Cooper's Cafe. And it's honestly, you can get the best fry up there, but they also do Welsh cakes there as well. So I'm guessing like a traditional cafe, I'm thinking like the American equivalent would be like a traditional diner, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So we have those yeah, you can get them in supermarkets as well. What I would say is to really do a Welsh cake justice, get it warm. Get it warm from like a cafe um, or, you know, get a Welsh person to make some for you. Um, you know, we'll do anything for some wine or some beer and have it warm. I think those, that's the best way to enjoy a Welsh cake. Cooked fresh, warm, tiny bit of butter on the top. And if I went to one of these traditional cafes, would I have it with coffee, with tea? What would be a good accompaniment to it? I mean, you could have it with coffee. And Lord knows I'm a coffee girl, but tea probably. Yeah, a nice Morgan's Brew Tea, um, which is a Welsh tea company. Um, that's normally when I go hiking, I have, you know, a nice cup of tea and Welsh cakes on, on the summit. Uh, that's always a lovely little hiking snack. So you can have coffee, but I think, you know, if you if you want to blend in and look like more of a local, I would definitely have it with a cup of tea more. And then there's something called an oat cake. Now, how is an oat cake mm-hmm. different than a Welsh cake? 
they're kind of like they've got a more crumbly consistency um and i would pair oat cake with some snowdonia cheese actually so yeah oh, i think nice. it's it's much more of a yeah it's more of a savory thing an oat cake um and my favorite is daffodil cottage they make some really nice oat cakes using their very own traditional welsh recipes so i like to take oat cakes on picnics and have them with a little bit of cheese um i think that goes really well together so welsh cake is more sweet and oat cakes more savory now tell me about this thing called uh, laver bread because I like sea. I'm actually a fan of seaweed. I like seaweed, um, and this sounds really interesting to me. So uh, describe what this is and where we would get it. Oh gosh, where to start? So um, <laughs> it's actually been awarded like protected status in the EU. I don't know if you know, like certain food stuffs can have this kind of protected status thing, and it's just it's so typically Welsh to me. It's like. Right, we'll uh, we've got some seaweed out the sea, put it on some bread, we'll call it a dish. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so so are, you, are you not a fan, Pip, of, of the laver bread? Honestly, it's not my favorite thing. So it's kind Fair of Fair enough. Like, you don't have to like of, everything. Yeah. It's a kind of puree that's served on toast here because, you know, on everything's better on toast, isn't it? Sure. Um. So, yeah, so it's a lava bread. It sounds like it's bread. So just be warned if you're in Wales, you're ordering that and you're thinking you're going to get some lovely crusty loaf. You're not. You're getting some seaweed. <laughs> That's how we roll here. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I think as Americans, yeah. maybe the one dish that we've ever heard of is Welsh rarebit. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've never had Welsh rarebit, I, I, I don't think. Oh, you uh, need it. Tell us what Welsh rarebit is. Basically, Welsh rarebit is like posh cheese on toast. Okay. It's like, because as I said, like, yeah, <laughs> it's because uh, we love everything on toast here. It's um, basically, it's got like a hot cheese-based sauce served over slices of toasted bread. And again, it depends on where you go to eat it as to how kind of comprehensive it is. You know, you can basically just have this kind of cheese sauce mixture on the top with a bit of Worcester sauce that's important but you know some of the the fancier sort of contemporary Welsh cafes or restaurants may have their own kind of particular twist on it or add things to it all that kind of stuff so it's a staple of uh, Welsh food here and it's it's certainly one of my favorite Welsh dishes along with cowl cowl's definitely one of my favorite what, what is that called cow cowls cowl and um, which okay. is uh, a, a lamb stew okay so my top two welsh foods are welsh rabbit and cowl and it's like a welsh it was basically like a way of people using up their leftovers at the end of the week you know you throw some potatoes in some carrots some lamb and you you make this sort of like hearty sort of broth which you do need here in wales because our weather can be kind of unforgiving so <laughs> cheese and bread i think uh, that's my takeaway from welsh cuisine and Boy, I don't think you can go wrong. Uh, that is just a great combination in my world. Now, with that, you have to have some wine. Reading your blog, I learned oh, yeah. Wales is a wine-producing country, which I didn't know. I don't think I've ever had Welsh wine. Um, what is what is a Welsh wine like? What are some of the grapes that are popular there, and who are some of your favorite producers? So one of my favorite places is uh, Lanark Vineyard, and they've got five varieties of what they call their Cariad wine they've got sparkling blush a sparkling brute a dry white medium dry white and a rosé 
as you can imagine, it's sort of quite difficult to grow wine in Wales. <laughs> it's not sure. exactly like you've got the best conditions here. So, I mean, it's kind of mountainous here. We're kind of wet. There's a lot of sheep. You know, it's it's a difficult sort of sell, really. Um, but, you know, we, we try. We've got, I think, I think we've got around 28, 30 active vineyards here in Wales. Um, I'll have to check that out, but I'm pretty sure I read that um, some time ago. But yeah, so we, we, we do try. Honestly, from a personal opinion, I think that we do beer and spirits better. I'll probably get lynched for saying that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we've got some like white grapes here and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I just, I personally think we do craftier better and we do spirits better here. That's not to say don't try Welsh wine and definitely anything sparkling. I've tried a few nice ones, to be honest. Also try some Welsh mead. That was fairly interesting. Well, let's talk beer, um, craft beer. Who are, who are some of your favorite craft beer makers? What are they like? You know, what, what kind of beers can we expect? Are they generally really hoppy? Are they malty? What, what kind of flavors can we uh, enjoy when we're in Wales and drinking a pint? So we've got the Tiny Rebel Brewery here. Now, I should state, I don't really drink beer. I'm definitely more of a wine and, you know, spirits kind of girl. So I'm taking my husband's opinion on this because he does like beer. And he says that Tiny Rebel, he likes it, but it's very hoppy. So, but they are award-winning here. And they do um, samples at their breweries. There's also Tiny Rebel bars in Cardiff, which is the capital, and another city called Newport. And they're actually really good at coming up with um, really a range of really sort of funky craft beers with funky names. Like I think they've had like Stay Puffed before, Marshmallow Porter, Pump Up the Jam, all those kind of names like, Right, They've right, got really good stuff. names, really good branding, really good advertising. But yeah, they're quite a hoppy beer. Another one we've got in North Wales is an award-winning place called Purple Moose Brewery. And they've okay. been around since, I, yeah, <laughs> since about 2005, I believe. Uh, and they make Snowdonia Ale um, after the, the mountain range Snowdonia we've got. And they have brewery tours, which is a really cool activity. I know that's a popular sort of thing to do within travel now um but yeah they i think from what my husband says they're a bit more they're a bit less hoppy um than tiny rebel but definitely come to wales we've got quite a range of uh craft beers as well um i'm trying to think there's also the heart of wales brewery that is very 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 small very bespoke um venture it's a microbrewery um that we've got in sort of central wales and the cambrian mountains and they produce a range of ales that go with it, that the sort of quirky events around the area. There's like, <laughs> there's events in Wales, like bog snorkeling and man versus horse. And I'm, I'm seriously, I'm not making this up. And the Heart okay. of Wales Brewery makes beers that sort of accompany these weird events. The main takeaway from Wales is you've got to make your own fun here. <laughs> you know, we... We see a bog, we're like, right, pop the flippers on, we'll snorkel in that, that's a day out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay, what's a flicker? Flipper. Oh, flipper, like, okay. Flippers. Very, yeah. very good, I got you. <laughs> Swimming, okay. 
<laughs> you thought, oh, she's. I'm learning some Welsh words here. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> What's the funny thing about Welsh? I could say anything. I could be like flim flam is like Welsh for butterfly, and Americans would go, oh, really? Be, oh, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Come back, tell all my friends. Listen to the Welsh I've yeah. learned. Look how cultural I am. <laughs> what about pub pub culture, Pip? I mean. You know, how do we enjoy going into a pub and um, ordering a pint and maybe, you know, striking up a conversation with the locals? What's uh, some of the best places to go and, and how do we enjoy this uh, this culturally? There's a range of um, pubs in Wales. Like you've got your traditional sort of like small pubs um, like the Hathod as well. The, the Triangle in Ryada, which does lovely gastro food as well, by the way. So we've got our sort of smaller pubs as well. The Star Inn, that's another one. That's a very good stargazing site as well. So you can mix drinking with stargazing, which I think is quite fun. And then you've also got your sort of like high-end wine bars, your nice hotel bars as well. One of my favorite is Oxwich Bay Hotel in the Gower, which is a beautiful seaside area in Wales. And that's like they've got a, a bistro by the beach kind of bar restaurant, which does sort of like a nice range of wines and beers we've also got as i mentioned some microbreweries. tiny rebel um the award-winning brewers have also got their own pubs as well so i mean you can come to wales and just visit you know generic chain pubs if that's your bag but what i would say is take the time to hunt down the more independent venues the craft breweries all those kind of places because that's really where there's a lot of innovation in food and drink. There'll be a lot of friendly people there as well. The staff will be very into what they're serving as well, which is also really nice. So you can go to places like um, the Talbot Hotel in Tregaron, and it's a, a sort of four-star-rated hotel full of rustic charm and history. And they've also got a really historic bar there, which is really nice. Um, but they use a lot of seasonal produce. They've also got a lot of local ciders, ales, Welsh spirits as well, like bracken gin, which is my favorite. So what I would say is take some time to speak to locals, but also speak to restaurant staff, bar staff, ask them about the dishes, about the drinks. We're quite knowledgeable here in Wales. Our hospitality sector is a large sector. And, you know, people do enjoy talking about the lovely food and drink we've got here in Wales. So do you take the time to speak to bar staff, to speak to, you know, the the chefs, the, the waitresses, the waiters, anyone involved in it? And I'm sure they'll gladly tell you about where your lambs come from, what kind of drink this is, you know, is there other vegetables from the farm down the road, all that kind of stuff. Pip Jones, it's been great talking to you. We'll have links to your websites and your podcast in the show notes. So folks should check out Pip in the City and Wales Bucket List in your Travel Goals podcast as well. Um, and I'll be sending you a picture of me and some Snedonia cheese and some wine, hopefully in the next uh, day or two when I get my hands on some of this good stuff. I wish you uh, good health in Wales and hopes everything uh, goes well for you and you guys are out of this pandemic uh, real soon so we can all hit the road again. Thank you so much for having me on, Jochen Bauer. All right. There's Pip Jones talking about Wales, her home country. And right after I talked to Pip, I headed out to the local Ingalls, a grocery store I'd never been to, but 
I found out there's one just 10 minutes from my house. And yes, they do indeed carry Snedonia cheese. I got the Black Bomber. That's the one that Pip recommended. It's a mature cheddar, but still manages to be creamy. And Karen and I had cheese for dinner with some wine and some crostini. And just so you don't think I'm a monster, yes, I had some fruit. We cut up some pears and ate it with cheese. I got to say, the cheese is pretty incredible. And I'm definitely going to be looking forward to getting some more the next time I head over to Ingalls. Well, that'll put another episode of Destination Eat Drink in the can. Next week, we are in Buenos Aires, Argentina for Malbec wine, thick caramel in a jar, and a super powerful tea. Until then, check out DestinationEatDrink.com. My latest article is about a lighthouse that's carved right into the side of a rock face. At least that's what it looks like. And it has some of the most picturesque views on the East Coast. That's at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by our fearless leader, Ed Silla, and the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.